Hello and welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week, we are going to be looking at the case of PWR and DBP. The citation for this case is 2022 UKSC 2. This case that we're looking at this week is about a certain aspect of terrorism legislation and how it relates to human rights law. Section 13.1 of the Terrorism Act 2000 states, quote, A person in a public place commits an offence if he a. wears an item of clothing, or b. wears, carries, or displays an article in such a way or in such circumstances as to arouse reasonable suspicion that he is a member or a supporter of a prescribed organisation, end quote. These proceedings we have in front of us today come about after the appellants took part in a protest against the actions of Turkey in northeast Syria. As part of the protest, they each carried the flag of the Kurdistan Workers' Party, known as the PKK. However, the PKK is also a prescribed terrorist organisation, and so the appellants were convicted under Section 13.1. They appealed to the Crown Court, but that was dismissed on the basis that the offence was one of strict liability. In other words, no mental element or mens rea was required, and so a person can be convicted without them knowing the implications of a particular flag or item of clothing that they are wearing. Furthermore, the Crown Court held that Section 13.1 was not incompatible with the right to freedom of expression under the European Convention on Human Rights, and so there was no human rights violation either. The questions about strict liability and human rights compatibility were passed to the Divisional Court and they answered in the same way, but permission to appeal was granted by the Supreme Court, and so that is where we pick things up. Looking at the question of strict liability first, the justices held that the Section 13.1 offence is indeed one of strict liability. The only mental element that is required from a defendant is that they must know that they are wearing or displaying the relevant article, but it doesn't matter whether or not they are fully aware of the implications. Although the Supreme Court concluded that there is always a strong presumption that requires mens rea, this is rebutted here. For a start, the words, quote, arouse reasonable suspicion, end quote, impose an objective standard as opposed to any subjectivity on the part of the defendant. Secondly, if Section 13.1 was not a strict liability offence, then it would not fit in with the scheme of prescribed organisation offences under the 2000 Act. And finally, the policy behind this being an offence is more about what effect the clothing or displayed item has on other people, rather than the point the defendant is making. I.e. it doesn't matter what your intention is, the effect of your action is that you are displaying support for a prescribed terrorist organisation in public. Moving on, and the justices also took time to consider the compatibility of Section 13.1 with the right to freedom of expression under Article 10 of the European Convention on Human Rights. It is indeed the case that the offence is an interference with the right, but the question is whether that interference is justified. The Supreme Court held that it was. For a start, the restriction is prescribed by law, and there is no doubt that the provision is expressed in clear terms that guarantees legal certainty. Secondly, this restriction on the right pursues a legitimate aim in the sense that it is necessary in the interests of national security, public safety, the prevention of disorder and crime, and the protection of the rights of others. 
Thirdly, it was held by the justices that the restriction is necessary in a democratic society and a proportionate response to those legitimate aims. While there is jurisprudence from the European Court of Human Rights that suggests necessity is not to be found lightly by a court in these types of cases, it is clearly justified here as part of the broader aim of stopping terrorism. Furthermore, the offence still does require reasonable suspicion and the punishment for the offence is relatively minor. Overall, I think that the actual judgement of the court is hard to critique. When the legislation says that an offence is committed by either wearing a certain item of clothing or displaying certain articles, then it is difficult to conclude that there is a mental element that exists beyond the obvious. Beyond that, while this offence does clearly interfere with the right to freedom of expression, it seems legitimate for a state to impose a criminal restriction on displaying terrorist symbols in public. I think that the only thing that gives me pause in relation to this case is the actual terrorist organisation at the heart of it. The PKK is certainly a militant political organisation, but its aim is to promote the rights of Kurdish people who have suffered at the hands of a ruthless Turkish state that has systematically burned Kurdish villages to the ground with the ostensible aim of killing PKK militants. In 2008 and then subsequently in 2018, the European Court of Justice found that the PKK had been designated as a terrorist organisation without due process, and yet that designation remained in place. This is not to say that I don't think the PKK should be designated as such. The group has been responsible for a number of bombings and assassinations over the years, but there are legitimate questions to be asked about what constitutes a terrorist organisation. The PKK is considered to be a terrorist organisation because of its actions over the years, but the Turkish state, which is responsible for a large number of innocent deaths itself, acts with impunity because it is regarded as a state, whereas Kurdistan is not. The inconsistency has some resonance at the moment because of what is happening in Ukraine. At the time of recording, Kiev is still standing and Ukrainian soldiers are putting up a valiant resistance. The way things are going, it feels like this is delaying the inevitable. In my email newsletter last week, I talked about what would happen if there was a Ukrainian government in exile. But if the leaders choose to remain in the country long after the Russians take over government buildings and install their own puppet regime, then those leaders would become non-state actors fighting a guerrilla war against the new Ukrainian state. Would those leaders and their supporters be regarded as terrorists? Possibly in Russia and Ukraine they would be, but countries like the UK might choose to actively give them military support. The point is that the distinction between terrorist and freedom fighter is often a fine line, and while that doesn't change the outcome of this case, it demonstrates the difficult decision faced by the Home Office in the way that it prescribes terrorist organisations. The temptation might be to paint a broad brush, but the Section 13.1 offence shows that doing so can have a serious negative impact on freedom of expression in the UK. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. Quick reminder before we go that if you would like to support the podcast and help to keep it ad-free, then you can subscribe to my email newsletter and earn yourself some nice perks, including more content from me each week and a free ebook on how to answer essay questions on a law degree. If that sounds like something you are interested in, then check out the link in the description to this podcast episode. Anyway, I'll be back with another episode next week, but for now, bye!